of it is good. My favorite Eli Ballard story, and I'm going to tell the story every chance I get because it's just so awesome. Um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. I know this is like broken record for some of y'all. I had Amish babysitters growing up, okay? Like, when I say middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. And I'll never forget, I don't know how old Eli was, but he, uh, he started asking questions about Amish people, and he asked his mom if the Amish people knew Jesus. And so Eli and I got to have a conversation about whether or not Amish people know Jesus. And um, the long and short of it is, is there's a lot of rules and there's not much Jesus. And uh, at a very young age, he, he uh, felt a burden on his heart to share the gospel with Amish people. And I was like, that is awesome. That's my man. So, um, you know, man, for me, it'd just be really awesome. Maybe one day Eli Ballard's going to plant a church in my home county or something. Reach all the Amish people there. That would be great. So um, I, I love their family. I love that journey that uh, they've been on in the story. Um, did you all have a good 4th of July? All right. Woo! It's for freedom. We are set free. Free to, I don't know, chuckle awkwardly in church. One of my favorite things, <laughs> it's so ironic. I love, I, it's like entertainment for me. Uh, and there's no judgment, okay? We're just going to all en- embrace the fact that this is a fun, awkward thing. Uh, if you live in a neighborhood, that's like a new thing for me. I just told you that I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we have, like, neighborhood Facebook pages now and all this fun stuff. And uh, we have new regulations in Shelby County about fireworks. Okay, oh, there we go. Yeah. It's so fun to see somebody post about fireworks and all the opinions and preferences that come out. Oh, man. You uh, are disrupting my dogs. You are uh, making it hard for my babies to sleep. Or, um, hey, it's 4th of July. We should just be shooting off fireworks. So what's the big deal, right? And I love the, like, there's a great irony about these people who are uh, airing their opinions and their preferences about what their freedoms, uh, you know, enable them to do with fireworks while at the same time the other people are doing the same. And it's like, ah, it's, it's really entertaining to watch how heated people can get about shooting off fireworks. And um, I start there because today as we kind of work into uh, the end, this is really part one of a two-part finale to, uh, to our Limitless series. Uh, and today I think we're going we're gonna to really get to where the rubber meets the road on this idea of, of you and I really getting to experience what it's like to live in the, the limitless power of Christ. And there's a, there's a crux. There's, there's something in the middle of the road that often keeps us from doing that, and it's ourself. <laughs> it's, it's our own opinions and our own preferences. Um, last weekend was uh, my birthday, July 1st, and it was also my wife's birthday. Uh, we have the same birthday. I'm a little bit older. And uh, I want to thank you all who were here last week for singing us happy birthday. Uh, I think after our kids, you were the first ones to sing us happy birthday. Uh, And for the most part, as a guy, it is really awesome to share a birthday with my wife. Um, I'm sure there's some negatives. And um, one of the negatives, um, it forces me to not think about me. I want you to think about your birthday. Maybe you don't want to think about your birthday. I don't know. Maybe some of you, there's more numbers, there's more years on that birthday than others. I won't use the word old because I get in trouble when I use the word old. Over here. Just kidding. Not kidding. A little bit of truth in every, okay. But it's hard on your birthday when you share your birthday with your wife because even, you know, you, you think about your birthday, it would be nice if someone would come and cater to you a little bit. Maybe they, whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, breakfast in bed, make your favorite meal, 
get the kind of cake that you want. And that's all much harder when your spouse has the same birthday because you feel obligated to do that for them. And then, like, if you actually get anything, you're, you start to feel bad. Like, oh, she served me. I should probably do something back because, you know, it's like this tension all day long. So my birthday, because it's my birthday, it got turned into this ironic tug and pull between self and Caitlin. And um, I, I think that's kind of the tension that many of us live in when we think about our relationship with Christ and, and how we um, begin to flesh out what it looks like for us to be called out, for us to take our next step. Because every next step is often inhibited by our desires, our preferences, the things that we want. So um, as we do that, let me set the stage for where we are in the book of Mark. We've been just walking through the book of Mark methodically and, and following Jesus and his disciples. And uh, in this section of Mark, right, Jesus has been trying to teach his disciples who he is. Who is Jesus really? Because they don't understand yet that he is the Son of God. He's healed people. He's miraculously fed people. He's challenged the traditions of the Pharisees. He's pushed his ministry out to Gentiles, the unclean and women who have been marginalized by society. He's now serving those people. He's doing a lot of really good things. He's even called himself God while walking on the water. We, we talked about that just a couple weeks ago. But Jesus wants his disciples to see and to know and to live in the truth that he is the Son of God, and that makes him limitless. And that's really difficult for us with limited human brains to grasp or to, to live in and, and to be a part of. And that's really what he wants for you and I, too, that we would live and find ourselves in this limitless power of Christ. Jesus wants us to see that he is the Son of God, that he's truly limitless. There's, there's nothing, no one greater. And that has great implications, and some of those we're going to start to talk about over the next couple of weeks. The problem is that we, just like the disciples, struggle to see past ourselves. Think about your morning, right? I can think about my morning, and I, I see my own preferences, my own opinions, I see me trying to do the things that I want to do. So as we think about that and as we struggle to see past ourselves to maybe what God is calling us to, to, to something beyond our vision, let's jump into Mark 8, and we're going to just take it a section at a time, just like we did last week, okay? So Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We're going to have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a phone. But I encourage you to, to open it up and follow along with yourselves. Mark 8. Verse 1. In those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said uh, these were to be served as well. So they ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he dismissed them. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. 
The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. And then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? All right, let's, let's just back up and think about this for a minute. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you might be thinking, Wait a second, Blake. We've already done this part. We fed a bunch of people. The Pharisees came. Blake, are you sure you're reading in the right chapter? Maybe you went back. Nope. Jesus fed 5,000 the first time. Now it's 4,000. And the Pharisees, the last time, they wanted the disciples to wash their hands. And this time they want a miraculous sign. But aren't the similarities interesting? Isn't that interesting that, that Jesus has just gone through this pattern with his disciples? You know, he feeds 5,000 miraculously. The Pharisees come and challenge him with the traditions. And then he heals somebody. And what we're going to find here in Mark chapter 8 is that that same pattern happens again. He feeds a large group of people miraculously. The Pharisees come and challenge him, and, and he's going to heal someone here as we continue in chapter 8. So what does that mean? It's like a broken record, right? And after all that, the disciples are in a boat talking about the fact that they don't have any bread. They have Jesus in the boat, and they are worried about the fact that they don't have any bread. They can't see who Jesus is because they can't see past themselves. This is so difficult for all of us. Like there's no condemnation in any of these conversations, but it is so difficult for us to see past ourselves. I have these conversations with Caitlin. I hear these conversations as I talk with you all throughout the weeks. And as we think about what God's calling us to next, so many times the excuses, the things that are in the way of us actually following Jesus, those things come to the forefront of our minds and the forefront of our conversations rather than just keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, right? We worry about things that are really like a loaf of bread rather than on what the God of the universe who is standing beside us in the boat is saying. It's a tough tension. We don't like it. And it causes us to ask the question, why is it so hard for us to see past ourselves? I mean, imagine this visual, right? It's kind of like when you forget that it's someone's birthday, and then you get to the party and you realize that it's their birthday, and there's a group of you over in the corner who realize that, and you're like, what are we going to do? We can't let them know that we didn't remember it was their birthday. <laughs> right? So you're trying to figure out a way to make it up. And that's the scene that we have here in the boat. It's like the disciples are over in the corner, and they're like, hey, Jesus just did a miracle and left us with seven huge baskets full of bread. We only got one loaf left, and we don't know what to do. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to eat? And they're worried about that. And I can't imagine the emotions, the feelings. They're embarrassed, right? They're ashamed. They're not wanting Jesus to know that they've kind of messed this up. And they're still more concerned with their own needs and what Jesus will think of them. And so Jesus asks his disciples two rhetorical questions the answer why it's so hard for us to see past ourselves. Follow along with me. Pick it back up in verse 17. Jesus is aware of his disciples standing over in the corner, right? Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? And then he says this, do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? 
hard hearts and forgetting our starts. That's why it's hard for us to see past ourselves. Hard hearts and forgetting our starts. What does that mean for us? Why is it so hard for us to see past ourselves and to see what Christ is calling us to? Why is it hard for us to see beyond our own limitations? Let's ask ourselves the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Do you have hardened hearts? What is a hard heart? Is your physical heart hard when you have a hard heart? I don't think that's what this means. Jesus clarifies. He says, do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? I can remember, and maybe some of you can remember the same. I can remember as a little boy sitting in my grandpa's lap, and I would feel his hands because grandpa worked with his hands, and he had hard hands. Maybe you've got dads or grandpas or, I don't know, moms or grandmas who had hard hands. Who laughed, Eric? Your grandma had hard hands, didn't she? Just kidding. But they were hard because they had tough, callous skin on them, right? Maybe you have a family member who, who is the same way. Those hard hands were the result of hard work. But it was also true that those hard hands didn't feel things the way that they always had. If you're a guitar player, you know this to be true, right? You get calluses on your fingers, and all of a sudden you can't feel the strings. You just, muscle memory, they go where they're supposed to go. When you grow calluses on something, you, you can't feel things as well as you used to. And I believe that many times we as people can develop hard hearts from compassion fatigue, right? We love until it hurts. We give and we give and we give and we give and we give, and it's just like, man. I, I love giving, but at some point, like, I'm, the calluses have grown. I just, I don't know if I have it in me to serve anymore. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't, I don't know if I can keep doing community kids. I don't know if I can come to another Love Shelbyville Day. I don't know if I can do this. There's just compassion fatigue. I don't feel it anymore. And that oozes over, not just into how we serve at Christ's community, but it oozes over into how we think about being a Christian in our everyday lives. We don't care as much about the salvation of our neighbor next door. Just our neighbor, way he's always been. We lose interest in serving the, the hurting men, women, and children of Shelby County and beyond. We just become disconnected from them. We see them, we just don't feel anything. We're calloused to their needs. And we don't recognize that we've lost that passion because we've slowly developed a hard heart. These hard hearts have protective layers on them that keep us from feeling too much. They've developed from maybe lots of serving and loving, lots of good things, but they keep us from loving today, and that's a problem. You see, the disciples have become numb to the compassion of Christ. We look at this, this sequence of events where things are repeated, and we're like, man, we're going to feed 4,000 people again? Right? Like, I can just kind of picture one of the disciples. Hey, guys, Jesus wants to feed the crowd of people again. Everybody line up. He's going to come up with some baskets, and you're going to have to deliver it. <laughs> do you ever feel that way about serving the Lord? I know I do. <laughs> like, there's days I just don't want to do it. Compassion fatigue. Do you have a hardened heart? Oftentimes, it's difficult, if not impossible, to even recognize that our hearts are hardened. And it takes God showing us. And so, Jesus asks another question that helps the disciples to see. He says, do you not remember? Do you not remember? He goes on to remind them that how they've always had more than enough. More than enough for the people, but also more than enough for them. Each one of the disciples took extra away. Sometimes the best way to see what's ahead of us is to look back and be reminded of where we've been. 
to remember what it was like when Jesus first started providing for us and, and all the ways that he's provided for us over the years. I'm, I'm growing less and less a fan of social media, but it was really kind of neat this week. Caitlin, uh, she gets into like that, uh, look back at this day in history. I don't know what it's actually called, but that's the thing on Facebook. And um, it was really neat because July 5th, apparently there's been a lot of things that God has provided for our family and done in our family on that day. And so she like celebrated that. And I was like, man, thank you for doing that because I don't do that kind of thing. We have to look back to be reminded of all the good things that, that God does over the years, the ways that he's provided. And in this case, Jesus is almost in disbelief. He's like, you guys are seriously worried about your bread? <laughs> You're worried about your bread. Do you not remember? I have literally, and that's the correct use of the word here, not just to fill in for emphasis like we like to use these days. I've literally made bread miraculously appear, and you're worried about your bread. What are the things that you and I worry about that Jesus would be astonished by? What are those things? I will say this, at least the disciples are worried about a basic need in life. Because if I'm honest, I worry about things that are far more frivolous than that. We worry about paying the bills. We worry about the debt that's piling up. We worry about raising our kids perfectly. We worry about our marriage. We worry about being included. We worry about people liking us. We worry about what we should wear, what we should say. And I wonder if we were standing with Jesus in the boat, and we told him that we were worried about those things, if he would not just look at us and ask the question, do you not remember? <laughs> do you not remember who I am and what I can do for you? Whether you are a believer or not, you are here today. You have breath in your lungs, and by the grace of God, you have survived this sermon to this point. Do you not remember? Do you not see all that God has done in your life to get you to this point? Even if things are tough, even if you aren't sure where the bread is going to come from, you have access to a limitless God. We can't see past of our, ourselves because of our hard hearts and, and because we've forgotten our start. But Jesus isn't willing to leave us in our blindness. He's not willing to leave us there. I love how Jesus orchestrates uh, things and brings people together in ways that we never see coming. And that's exactly what happens next. Follow along with me beginning in verse 22. It says, they came to Bethsaida. Who is they? As we follow the text, it's the disciples, right? The disciples came to Bethsaida, and the disciples brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Now, here's what I love about that one simple statement. Those two hard questions that Jesus asked the disciples, they tore some of those calluses off their hardened hearts, right? Their compassion returns. They want to see this man healed. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village Spitting on his hands and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking. And again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. These disciples have regained their compassion. They bring this blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch him, to heal him, to make him clean. Their desire to see someone healed by Jesus is restored. But Jesus isn't done teaching them to see past themselves and what they want. It's part of the pattern, right? 
miraculous feeding, Pharisees, the blind see. But in the case of this blind man, Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes him out of the city. He did the same thing with the, the blind man earlier in, in Mark. He takes them out, away from people. Jesus Christ brings you out to help you see. And then he sends you back, set free. That's what he does in your life over and over and over again. He brings you out in a way so that you can see. And then he sends you back set free. It's what he's done in this man's life. It's what he's trying to do in the disciples' life. He's trying to continually take them out of their ministry context, help them to see what's actually going on, help them to see who he is and who they are. And then he sends them back and he says, now share that same story with everyone that you meet. He brings you out to help you see and sends you back set free. One of the greatest blessings of the idea of going outside that we see modeled in the gospel is that when you go outside of your limits, when you go outside of your comfort zone, when you go outside of yourself, you get to see yourself as Christ sees you. Christ helps you to see you for you. And once you have seen yourself clearly, he can send you back set free and able to have compassion on your neighbor, able to have compassion on your spouse or on your kids or on your extended family member who isn't walking with the Lord or on your friend who doesn't understand your relationship with Jesus. You see, he brings you out, not just to serve others, but to help you see what the situation actually is. I'm reminded of a Christmas carol, right? Anybody ever seen a Christmas carol? Ebenezer Scrooge, right? He's a terrible person, tightwad, doesn't like to be generous. So the Christmas spirit comes and takes him out of his situation and helps him to see who he really is, right? And then, poof, he wakes up and it's all a dream and he's able to be super generous. Now, there's probably some bad theology in there, right? But the idea, the illustration rings true. Christ brings you out, and he helps you to see. And it gives you the ability to return with life anew. It's the ability to not be jaded about everything and to live with joy. It's the ability to, to not feel ashamed, to not wallow in self-doubt. It's being set free from the power of sin, just as we saw this morning and as we sang about. It's living a brand new life that's not limited to what you can see. When we go outside with Jesus, we are able to see in a way that we've never seen before. How do you do that? The first thing is only through that relationship with Christ. You cannot know the true you until you know the one who made you. You can't. I don't care how many personal inventories you take. There is no test that can tell you who you are truly apart from Christ. Those things will help you to see for sure. But just as a blind man only saw partially, the same is true for all of our own efforts to see who we really are. If you don't know Christ, you don't see fully. But when you have Christ... Still, how? How can I see what Jesus has for me? How can I see clearly what he wants me to do next? How do we look past ourselves to see where Christ is leading us? Look back at verse 24 and 25 with me. It said, the man looked up and he said, I, I see people. They look like trees walking. I, Try to just go there with this guy. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute, right? You've been blind, and Jesus does this thing, and it's Jesus, right? You're expecting to be able to see whenever he gets done doing what he, he's doing. And, and, like, all of a sudden, you look up, and you're like, I can kind of see. <laughs> he sees the disciples moving around. They look like trees, he says. 
Are you disappointed? Man, I thought Jesus was just going to fix this. I'm not sure what's going on. Why did this take two tries? Maybe I'm just that bad of a person. And again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus is teaching a lesson, right? Jesus could have healed him in one time. He could have healed him without touching him. And it's not based upon the man's goodness or, or how many sins he had. Jesus is teaching us a lesson that, that so often, it's looking intently to the Lord, trusting that he is limitless and not making decisions, not deciding whether God is good based upon our experiences. Jesus is limitless. Many times we see a little bit of where we're headed, and then we must look intently for things to become clear. So how do we look intently at Jesus so that we can see clearly how Jesus wants us to go outside? Three quick things and we'll be done. Number one, look for Jesus, not signs. If we go back in the chapter, right, the Pharisees, they come, and what were they demanding of Jesus? Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Maybe we don't always say it that way, but I think there's a lot of us that kind of treat Jesus that way. Like, okay, Jesus, I, I think you're real and all this stuff, but if you really want me to do this, just give me a sign. The Pharisees wanted that. They wanted a miracle. They wanted something that was bulletproof. And it's not that Jesus can't or won't do that. It's the fact that he himself is enough already. The fact that God took on the form of a man and emptied himself. In other words, he limited his abilities as God so that he could bring you with him to an eternal adventure with the creator of the universe. Now, if I'm Jesus, I just want to say, isn't that enough? <laughs> do you need another sign? Isn't that enough? So what does that mean for us? Jesus has revealed himself to us primarily through his word and through the Holy Spirit. He's not going to take you outside if you aren't reading his word. He's not going to help you see past yourself if you aren't trying to see him. If you're looking for a sign, sign yourself up for more time in the word. Everything you need to know about him is in here. Look intently for Jesus here. I read a quote this week said, if you want to have great quiet times, you need to just start having quiet times. Much of the battle is won by simply sitting in the chair, opening up the Bible, and taking time to talk to God. If we want to look intently, look for Jesus, not signs. Number two is this. Look for repetition. We've seen in this, this passage and in over the, the last few weeks in this section of Mark how Jesus has used repetition to teach his disciples. He uses repetition to teach us everywhere, too. It's all over. One man said it this way, God always does the same things. We read in Hebrews 13, 8, right? Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. God always does the same things. He's just too creative to do the same things the same way. He always uses repetition. When you are looking for clarity in your walk with God, look for it. Are there sins that I am repeating? That's a repetition that I should maybe, maybe pay attention to. When I read the Bible, are there phrases that I'm seeing over and over and over again? I should pay attention to that. Are multiple people that I trust asking me the same thing again and again and again? Do I continue to see the same problems in my home or in my community again and again and again? When you see this repetition, you now have something to run at with all of your energy. Lord, teach me. Help me to understand. I see that you're repeating this. What is going on? Explore it. Learn about it. Seek to find out what God's Word teaches about it. Look intently until things become clear. 
want to sidebar for just a minute and ask us, like on a big scale, what's been repeated for us as a church? Lee, founding pastor, welcomes us this morning in true Lee fashion. I love it. Lee brings something that nobody else does because each of us are a part of the body of Christ. So Yogi Bear quotes, it is. But what are those things that have been repeated in the life of Christ Community Church? What are those, those thoughts, those phrases, those things that we see repeated? I think about things like one person at a time. That when we are maybe frustrated or tired, when we have compassion fatigue like the disciples, that it's the reminder to just go back and focus on one person that Christ is calling us to. To celebrate the life of one young man getting baptized. To remember that when we serve, and we're serving that one person, it's okay if it takes more of our time than we want it to. One person at a time. That's a repetition in the life of Christ Community Church. I, I think of another phrase, uh, another statistic that's been there since the beginning. It's four out of five, 87%. That's the number of people in Shelby County that aren't connected to the bride of Christ. And I've seen in our lives that when we, uh, the life of this church, that when we forget that, that when we walk away from that, when we don't notice that, that God's repeating that in our hearts, man, things get messy, we fight, stuff happens. Because that repetition, that reminder that, that we're here for the four, not the one, that we're here for the 87% to reach them and call them in and to, to just be faithful witnesses to them, that's why, man, when we remember that repetition, things are good. I'm also reminded of one last thing, and that's the, the, the calling of these places in our church to be pioneers, to just keep starting new things. Starting new things. Sometimes starting new things is starting new things in our personal lives. Sometimes it's as a group. It's starting new churches. Man, that's like in our DNA. That's who we are. We just, we just need to keep starting new things, trusting that Christ is providing and continuing to call us outside. Look for Jesus, not signs. Look for repetition in your life. And last but not least, look for clarity. Look intently, just as this blind man did, for clarity. Jesus doesn't leave this guy with a fuzzy picture of the future. He heals him completely. He is able to see clearly, and he knows what's next. He is to go back where he came from with a new life, a life that is set free. God is not a God of confusion. He wants you to see clearly. Look intently for that clarity. Don't grow weary in looking for God's clarity. Maybe, just maybe, like the guy in this passage, God is trying to teach you something as he heals you. And you can see a little bit. You've got enough to maybe take one next step. You can kind of move towards that fuzzy tree. And as you look intently at him, he will make the rest of the picture clear. I'm reminded of how faithful our God is by Psalm 119. Good little exercise for you if you are looking for a place to start reading in your Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Great place to start, right? But it's so cool. You all remember, uh, like, for us, it was always Thanksgiving time. Thanksgiving time in elementary school, our teachers would, like, make our hands into little turkeys, and then they'd give us, like, a piece of paper, and they would say, like, write the word turkey down the side of your sheet, and they'd come up with a word for every letter that reminds you of Thanksgiving, right? Acrostics, I think they're called. I don't teacher can help me fill in the word there. Psalm 119 is a huge acrostic. It goes through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it just celebrates the fact that God's word 
is faithful, that it remains forever, that it's unchanging, that it's steadfast, that it is the thing that continually calls us back and gives us clarity. And so I just want to read a small section of that 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 talks about that and encourage you to go back this week and read it uh, on your own, the whole chapter. Psalm 119, starting in verse 89. It says, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. Isn't that just comforting? To know in a world that's so transient, that's so changing, when everything in our lives is always changing, God's word is not. Your judgments stand firm today, for all things are your servants. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. I am yours, save me. For I have studied your precepts, the wicked hope to destroy me but I contemplate your decrees. Catch this. I have seen a limit to all perfection. But your command is without limit. I've seen a limit to all perfection. All the goodness in the world, everything that I think is going to be perfect, the life that's supposed to be perfect that I'm chasing, I've seen a limit to that. But your word, God, your command is without limit. So I want to leave you with this question. What do you see outside of your limits? What do you see outside of your limits? What's beyond you right now that will help you see who you really are in Christ? For some of you, that's as simple as saying, I've been trying to figure that out without Christ. I can't see clearly because Christ is not helping me to see. For others of you, I don't know where you are, but here's some things that we do as a church that may help you do that, okay? Community groups are starting again this fall, and before you shut that down, right, I know, I know all the things that come in, right, like all the things that make it hard to do that, and to that I would say, here, here's the thing, we figure out how to do a lot of hard things in life. What makes us think that biblical community is going to be easy? July 29th, the next set of groups start, and there's going to be a night called Connect. And if you are not in a group, if you are not in a community that can help you go outside, that can help you see who you are, that can help you connect to Christ, you should do that. I'll just leave it at that. The other thing that we're going to do uh, this fall is something new called Equip Classes. There's going to be three different classes. Uh, There's going to be a financial class. There's going to be a class on uh, figuring out who you are in Christ and how you're gifted to serve the church. And there's also going to be a, a parenting weekend. Um, some of y'all may remember John Bennett. Uh, he's going to come up for a weekend, and that's going to be a great weekend. So we're going to do some of those things that hopefully get you outside of your comfort zone, to push you into places that you haven't been. But as you ask yourself the question, what do you see outside of your limits? Here would be the tangible reminder, or the, the challenge for this week. Stop something that's sucking the life out of you so that you can start something that helps you give life to others. Stop something that's sucking the life out of you so that you can start something that helps you give life to others. You say, that's counterintuitive. Why would I start something that I'm giving? Because when we go outside, we see ourselves. When we go outside, we learn who we really are. We learn how God has actually wired us to function in our community and in our families and in our church. I want to close with this. 
by just reminding, of, reminding us as a church, Christ Community Church, what do we see outside of our limits, right? God's not done with us yet either. He wants us to continue to go outside and see who we really are. We'll continue to start new things. We'll continue to work with our ministry partners to find new ways to reach the lost of Shelby County and beyond. I don't even know what some of those things look like, right? I don't see clearly yet, but I'm going to keep pursuing the Lord in that. Would you come with me? We're going to work with one another to find new ways of reaching those who are within walking distance of this building. When was the last time that you thought about the last lost across the street? There's at least three neighborhoods within a street up here. Man, let's dream about that one person at a time. We're going to continue to work with one another to send people out to start new churches because we're passionate about reaching people where they live, work, and play. We're going to keep starting new things. And when we get tired of that, I hope and pray that God looks us in the eye and asks the question, are your hearts hardened? What happened to your compassion for those people that don't know me? And do you not remember the new thing that I started in you? Do you not remember the new life that I gave to you? Do you not remember the joy of being part of a new community of believers? Join me. Let's go outside. Let's see clearly what I have for you next. What do you see outside of your limits? Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, as we come to this time where we, uh, we don't conclude our service, we really use it as a launch pad into our weeks. God, we pray that in this moment you would pierce our hearts with the truth of your gospel. That you went outside for us, and when you went outside, it was really uncomfortable, uncomfortable to the point of death. Teach us, help us to see clearly how you're moving us outside. Father, I know that, I mean, just percentages, odds say that there are people here this morning that are not walking with you. There's no judgment in that. There's no condemnation because we remember the days that we are not walking with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, call each of those people to yourself, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would call them to turn from their sin and to walk in newness of life. Father, it's a joy to have new life in you, and we pray that you would uh, strip away the hardness of our hearts, give us again the compassion that you have for your people. We pray in Jesus' name today. Amen.